Hallo, hallo und willkommen zu der Show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Super excited to have you all today. Thank you all for sticking with me. I am currently in Malaysia. I just got here from Prague about a little over a week ago, like a week and a day. And I am one stop away from completing my circumnavigation. I will finish my circumnavigation in technically in Chicago, but I will go uh, travel across the country of Japan, a couple cities there, and fly LA to Chicago. So I'm super excited to finish this small chapter of my life of um, circumnavigating and you know it's 10 weeks which is small in the span of an entire lifetime but it's been such a meaningful experience and something that I come back home and I come back uh, to this sort of quote-unquote normalcy with so much more experience and empathy and so much more growth than when I left and I really feel that it will take me years to process all that I have experienced and witnessed and done these 10 weeks and of course I'm only seven weeks in still so I have another full three weeks of travel and experience and witness um, to to go and I'm so excited for it all I'm trying to take days of rest here and there of course and you know it's been a lot to figure out like visa and moving to Germany for grad school I've gotten all my acceptances back and figuring out okay which school am I going to go to can I transfer my scholarship to x school y school um, and so it's been a lot of work and thinking and reflecting there so I've tried to take enough time to really do that properly and thoroughly but at the same time I am in Malaysia it's my first time in Asia my dad is from South Korea so it's been a dream for me to go anywhere in Asia at all India Singapore Malaysia wherever of course South Korea I want to go I want to visit my dad's hometown um, so it's it's a dream come true for me in many ways to be here uh, in Malaysia in KL and I'm trying to honor that as well alongside doing the heavy lifting of all of these big life changes that are happening coming up in less than a month and again really trying again to honor a lot of the things that are happening honor them with my time and with my thoughtfulness and with my thoroughness um, so it's a lot to get through and I hope you all can understand the whack podcasting schedule that I have fallen into in the last six months. It's been a crazy journey, journey extremely liminal, I must say. Even like it started maybe a month before graduation, I started to get these signs that I was just in this extremely liminal period. And when I was traveling a lot, for example, over spring break in March, and then in late March, it was either early, uh, either early or late March when I went to um, Ohio, you know, and just a lot of the other traveling things. Um, 
it was, I started to get these feelings like something was coming, you know, and that, and then after, it's like this weird period, post-graduation, we have my diplomas, but I haven't seen them yet, you know, so it's like, this sort of feeling that it's done and that I'm I have this chapter closed but at the same time I moved right on to the next thing you know I had less than a week of you know calm and like peace and being able to pack and everything before leaving on this world trip and then when I get back to the U.S. I have four days really three full days plus a few hours on the fourth day <laughs> to pack, to make sure my documents are in order, and then I'm moving straight to Germany. Um, so it's, you know, this, I keep remembering, like, wow, this is the life that I created for myself, that I want. Um, and at the same time, there are challenges that are so unique that come with it. It's not like I can... Google, you know, how to, um, it's not like I can Google methods for how to cope with this better, you know, it's, it's like this amazing, unique time, but again, it's so liminal in some ways, because there's a lot of glossing over these major life shifts, you know, and I do feel that I will get closure on graduation, and I am like, thinking about that actively um, and I think it's important to be able to set, set a specific close on a lot of these life events and be able to say you know I graduated college this is a chapter that's closed I'm an alumnus now or an alumna in my case I'm going to move on to the next step now you know I think it's really important to have these kind of closure points on these big things and I think specifically with Circumnavigator being able to you know post my final blog post being able to like take a picture with the Circumnavigator flag when I'm done with my trip in Chicago being able to you know turn in my final report for them those are all such distinctive important things that I think will help kind of close the chapter and there will be things that are you know ongoing the relationships that I've made over the trip the research that I've done and how that research launch me, launches me in some ways into my future career as a linguist and you know so all these things um, they're the little things within them don't necessarily have these big closure points but I think again it's so important to have those moments of reconciliation almost with these different stages in one's life so hopefully that is an understandable and maybe long-winded way to encapsulate the tumult that's been kind of hitting me this year um and it a lot of it is like warranted and wanted and something I've been expecting in fact for um <laughs> four years really I mean the circumnavigation was something that I knew that I was going to do starting in January of 2021 so it's been a year and a half in the making um 
Did I know that the timeline was going to be this tight? No, I did not, of course. I thought I was going to take a gap year. Perhaps I thought I was going to um, go on a different scholarship that was an English teaching scholarship in Europe um, that I will not name to be respectful. And, you know, so like all these things kind of happened very last minute, you know, I, I heard about the, the German scholarship that I will be studying under super late, you know, and um, it was one of those things where my, the course of my life, you know, not only for the next two to three years, but also for the rest of my life, I firmly, I firmly believe this. The course of my life changed the moment I decided to suddenly turn down this one offer that I'd gotten and then take up the second. And I, you know, can't express my gratitude at the people who worked so closely with me to be able to help me make those tough decisions. And I had to make that decision within one week. Um, so, you know, being able to have fellowship and counsel and just <laughs> sessions where I was just so distraught and like crying and trying to figure things out and getting a lot of information at once, um, having the ability to not only, you know, have these life experiences, have the, um, like, of course, I put in the work and I put in the time and everything for to get these awards, but you know, also having the resources to do so. Um, I can't discount how grateful I am for that. Um, and then of course the resources to be able to make a decision that ended up being the best decision for my life. I don't believe in the right decision. I do believe in the best decision for that time or the best decision with the information you have. Um, so again, all that's to say, it's been a crazy year. It's been a tumultuous year and a wonderful year. Um, and a year that I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, and I'm glad that I can still turn on the microphone, however cruddy my iPad microphone is, and record a podcast and talk about Umberto Echo's short story, not short story, Umberto Echo's short essay collection. How to Travel with a Salmon and Other Essays. Let's talk about some of my history with Umberto Eco. I feel like the more that I read, the more that I get into literature, right? The more people know about it, especially with the podcast, the more I get recommendations, the more history I have with like every living author out there or not living author. Um, so let's talk about my history with Umberto Eco. In 2020, during the height of the pandemic, I was doing maybe like 20 or 30 hours of English teaching a week. That's how I made my income to support myself while I was in school, um, at least during the pandemic, the height of it, because I could teach online. So I had this student who was wonderful. like. They were um, at an extremely high level. Our conversations were highly conversational. You know, it wasn't like um, me teaching 
the basics of English grammar as it was with some other students, which I also love doing. I'm a linguist. Um, but it was um, one of those times where I really wanted recommendations for books from students if they had them to give, you know, and I was interested in how ESL students had come across the different books that they came across. And so a student, again, very intellectual, they were working um, at like a high level job in a high level company. Um, and I was really interested in their influences and what was teaching them English. And they ended up recommending this short essay collection. Um, and I added it to my Amazon cart as I was wont to do in those times. And it just sat there until very recently. <laughs> so um, this past spring, I would say February, no, it was, it was, it was like March or April. Um, in March or April, 2022, I read this essay by Akko in a course on music and totalitarianism. And I was really struck by how funny his writing was. The essay was quite long, it was maybe 20 or 30 pages, and he was talking about the effects of living under a totalitarian regime in Italy when he was growing up and um, he ends up at the end of the article outlining these different qualities for totalitarianism and we were at a point in the course where we were slowly as a class piecing together a definition or a framework for how to look at totalitarianism and other kinds of repressive government. So, you know, it was, and this is something I should mention that I've always been fascinated by. Um, in high school, I remember even thinking a lot about, and this is something that I talked about on Patreon in August. So if you're a Patreon member, you can listen to the August Patreon post, which I posted today. And, uh, and hear what I have to say about uh, the person versus their art, you know? And I think this is something that often comes up when we're talking about repressive governments is artists who work and I think who are forced to work and, are and perhaps choose to work under certain types of government, certain types of organization, they often have to cater their art or change their art in some way in order to fit the institution under which they're practicing, right? So, you know, easy example, an artist gets a commission for, from a specific organization and the organization gives them guidelines for their work, you know? And it can go all the way up to um, Shostakovich writing symphonies basically dedicated to the Russian government. Um, and it's, it's a really tricky, I talk about the films of Woody Allen and my take on them. It's a really tricky area to exist in, in the intellectual sphere. And I think you can say a lot of things that offend people or turn people off because it's difficult to separate the morality of the situation 
you know, and your own opinion and how that interacts with the morality is what they're doing right or wrong, does that matter? Versus the quality of that person's art, you know? And so there's, there's a lot of distinct pieces that I think some people don't like to see as distinct. Um, and this is something that I found to be an implicit and very thought-provoking part of the Echo article that we read for that class is talking about, you know, how Echo is this writer who's kind of come out of and seen a lot of these different repressive organizations and institutions. I also found the article really funny. Uh, and that was something that I valued at the time. It was a really tough term in school for me. Uh, and, you know, I was taking a couple courses in the Holocaust, a couple courses about totalitarianism, finishing my linguistics degree, my German degree, my music degree. Everything was kind of hitting the fan all at once. And I think if I had to do it over again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I would have definitely um, taken my easy quarter in the spring and not in the fall, <laughs> but um, you know, again, I couldn't change that. So I think having that little bit of humor, even in that one article, helped me a lot uh, psychologically <laughs> to get through kind of the course and to be able to think about it in terms that weren't, you know, all about how people suffered and how art suffered at the hands of these different regimes. And you can make different arguments about that, of course, creative constraints being beneficial, being one of them. Um, but again, I really appreciated the humor that Echo employed. So when I was leaving for this trip, I brought my Kindle you know, I have a running joke with people on my blog. You can check it out. It's called The Circumnavigation Curio. It's on relevanceofliterature.com. Just go to the blog tab. Um, yeah, I have this running joke that my travel headline is um, solo female traveler weighed down by paperbacks. And it's, it's really true. Like, I really prefer reading paperbacks. I have disposed quote-unquote disposed of paperbacks in so many ways on this trip by now. My favorite being, of course, finding a used bookstore or a cafe with a library and just, you know, giving the books to them. But I did stock my Kindle with a bunch of books, and the first one that I started reading of that collection was this short, short essay collection, How to Travel with a Salmon and Other Essays. The first half of the collection, roughly, is a series of essays called How to dot dot dot, you know? So like, How to Travel with a Salmon is the title piece of the work. And my, probably my favorite, there's a lot of really good ones in this. There's an essay about linguistics and, you know, kind of like making fun and playing with uh, linguistics in a way that I've never seen before. So the first half, roughly, is about this like how-to kind of thing and there's something ridiculous you know followed by following the how-to um i thought that first half of the essay collection fit together so seamlessly you know i'm used to reading like fiction short story collections 
and often those are organized around a similar theme. They're organized, you know, around a similar character or a similar archetype. Sometimes they're not similar. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel, you know, some of my short, my favorite short story collections um, by Haruki, Haruki Murakami, for example, the Elephant Vanishes is a good example. First Person Singular, another great example. Um, you know, there's they fit together loosely, and I think the order really matters in those collections. And really getting from one short story to the next in those collections is what makes it a really enjoyable experience. Because whether it's an abrupt change or a really mm, fluid one, you know, that makes all the difference. And sometimes you want abrupt changes, sometimes you want fluid changes, but it's it's an intentional decision to put these stories one after another in the way they are. I think similarly with other essay collections, um, like from Joe Didion, you know, for example, she has uh, that book that came out in like 2018, the South, I keep wanting to call it South by Southwest, I'm pretty sure that's not what it's called, I'm pretty sure that's something very different. <laughs> um, you know the one I mean, but yeah, so, and then, you know, the essay collections, especially those by Joan Didion, for example, um, they have, they have a different tone, and I, I would almost compare the way this is organized to, um, some of Didion's more well-known essay collections, and, you know, some of them are organized by year, such as her essay collection on writing, um, and then some of them are organized by by topic and this one clearly has kind of this thematic or topical organization which i really loved and i think the first half had this like sarcastic biting humor that was just so obvious like it was almost like sarcasm meets slapstick in writing but it was also like this very sophisticated way of describing the world and the perspective from which Echo writes is one of, you know, he's a professor, he's a writer, and he has this professionalism and this kind of uh, distinct, almost pomp and circumstance about him and his writing uh, that makes it a really unique experience. It's not like someone, it's not like reading, you know, someone from the beats. <laughs> like, it, it's like, um, there isn't that like casual tone or casual nature. Not to say that there is in something like Joan Didion, but I think it's more obvious in this Echo collection for sure that he's able to coexist with this sarcastic biting humor and this very demoir like, you know, fancy like <laughs> uppity kind of persona that he creates for himself through his writing. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that, I must say. Like, I really enjoyed being able to see humor and writing in a different light. And that was something that I was so tickled by <laughs> with the article that I read in class. Um, and I think continued, like, I would laugh out loud when I was reading his work, which is something that I hadn't done since years ago when I was reading, like, a lot of David Sedaris or reading... Uh, Kurt Vonnegut a lot like it it was just so like I, I guess that's the best way to put it it tickled me <laughs>
couple other things I liked it. I liked about it, and maybe the, these are surface kind of überflächlich, like um, not super. They're superficial um, things, but I think sometimes, especially the time I read this, was a huge reading slump. So especially in those times. Uh, the superficial things I really do appreciate and sometimes I do need to get back into reading and you know I always I never lose sight of how important reading is for me for developing empathy for having time to myself having time to reflect on certain things uh, but at the same time sometimes the superficial gets in the way and that's why every once in a while I will gravitate toward a book that's shorter a book that is you know, just a feel-good read, like a, some sort of YA maybe, a book that is easy to read, you know, it's not like a piece of high literary fiction, like I, I, recently, read, I recently read a book by uh, Milan Kundera, my first, I loved it, it was like a game changer for me, but I was only able to get there because I had read a couple books like this, you know, and you know, Echo is a linguist, like me, <laughs> he's an academic, and those are two things that I love and highly prize in a writer. Um, because I am used to reading work by linguists and academics, right? I thoroughly enjoy reading research papers. I thoroughly enjoy reading books by people who kind of know what it's like and have that subject-specific uh, lingo going on. <laughs> So, you know, that kind of superficial quality that Echo has as a linguist, that really turned me on to this book and to further writings from him. I think he's not this, you know, figure that like looms over his readers, however. Like I think a lot of times in academic writing, I think of, um, there's a linguist called Silverstein who does a lot of like, mathematical intuitions on linguistics or like mathematical analyses on linguistics like and he's kind of known for being this really obtuse uh completely like I tried to read one of his works and I like couldn't get the first sentence kind of writer um and Echo is not that way you know he really makes it approachable and he does use terms unexplained that maybe you might not know if you're not a linguist but at the same time, the way that he writes is so down to earth. And that's something that I appreciate always in an academic text is when the person is such an expert in their field that they're able to explain it in clear, concrete terms. They have to use some lingo to save space. Like, you know, using one term instead of two sentences is, an, you know, a must for concision. Um, and clarity often, but at the same time, being able to explain it to your dog <laughs> type of situation um, is is so important and something, again, that I highly value and something that Echo does. I also enjoyed that it was a shorter collection of nonfiction. I haven't read like a ton of nonfiction recently, so it was nice to get back into some nonfiction. I read a couple, mm, so I don't want to call them self-help books because that's such a stigma, but self-help adjacent books 
in the beginning of the year, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, memoir is a huge staple of my avoir. So all of that, um, I love to get back to when I can. A shorter collection, I wasn't reading as much. It was really helpful for me to have something short that I could get through relatively quickly. And finally, talking about moving forward and like after Echo and what this book was able to do for me, I don't want to get super far into the specifics of this particular anthology. Um, you know, it was a lot of the different um, the different essays, I would say you, you should just read them for yourself. I would recommend this book. I think it's, again, hilarious, well-written, it's academic, it's serious in a lot of ways, like the title story, How to Travel with the Salmon. Um, he ends up like picking up this beautiful like salmon, but he has to travel with it. So, you know, he, he like puts it in a drawer and he's trying to, um, he's, he needs somewhere to like refrigerate it, right? To, to make sure that it gets home in a safe way. So he takes out all of the mini bar items from the fridge and puts them in a hotel room drawer. And he puts the salmon in the fridge. And every day he finds that the maids have taken out the salmon basically like put it out on the counter and restocked his fridge and so every day he takes the more mini bottles that he finds in the fridge and puts the salmon back and of course like after his hotel stay um his company gets billed for you know four days of drinking the entire mini bar <laughs> so um again it's like it's this topic that's so down-to-earth, relatable, <laughs> realistic, and at the same time there's this air of ridiculousness that I think I love because it shows me that Echo isn't too serious <laughs> about this, like, um, about, about the piece, you know? Like, you can be a serious writer and you can have, like, perfect writing, quote-unquote, like, you know, good, like, grammar, good narration, good perspective and everything, but you also can incorporate this amazing humor and this kind of uh, lack of seriousness, to put it in a different way, um, that I think just helps the writing so much. So, you know, would I recommend this short story collection? I totally would, uh, especially for people who like academic writing, who are interested in linguistics, who uh, just want to laugh, <laughs> that's, that's what I would recommend this collection for, this essay collection. Keep calling it short story collection. It is not. It is nonfiction. <laughs> um, you know, and moving on to what I've done since reading the book, like I said, this book was kind of a launching point for my reading for the summer, and I'm really appreciative for the book for that reason appreciative of the book for that reason. Um, and I would say, yeah, that I've done a lot more experimentation with my reading this summer. I've read authors who I've heard about and not read before. Kundera is a ready example. 
Um, I'm not just looking for the same Murakami book. I've been reading a lot of Asian fiction as I've been in Asia. Um, there's a Japanese bookstore chain called Kino Kuyama, I think, something like that. Kino Muikama. Just search, it's Kino. The first four letters are Kino. It has a K, a U, and a Y, and an A in the last, um, in the last half of it. But yeah, but you know, having that bookstore at my disposal here in Malaysia has been great because they have an Asian literature section in the bookstore and I've been able to get way out of my normal what I would like to read or what I normally would go after um, just because of the availability really of that and having it kind of in one section being able to just go there reference oh well, like I've heard of this author and whatever what they are instead of just like going and you know reading more Murakami which of course I will do <laughs> but at the same time you know I think it's really important and valuable to step outside of your normal reading routine or your normal reading choices to get out and explore other types of writing, other authors, other perspectives. Um, and for me, that's something that makes reading worthwhile and interesting and something that I really benefit from not only as a reader and as a writer, but as a person. All right, enough of my jabber. I am so grateful for you all's support. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoyed this very rambly episode about how to travel with the salmon and other essays, my reading this summer at Al. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Parting the Atlantic, by the way. That has been a work in progress for a while. It's the brainchild of John and I. And I hope you'll enjoy the first couple episodes where still in Genesis in terms of our recording, uh, but I think we're gonna have some really thought-provoking conversations and, you know, it is about the Bible, it is about faith, um, and it's about relationship, and it's about pop culture, literature, current affairs, you know, the Bible is such a strong and diverse launching point for a lot of those topics. So I look forward to having this highly interdisciplinary discussion with John. I mean, John, of course, studies religion. Unlike me, I, I study linguistics. You know, I, I know what I know about the Bible and religion is not from college uh, on, the, on the whole. Um, but at the same time, you know, John has a lot of other interests and things that he will reference in conversation. And I think that keeps the discussion flowing and interesting and conversational and not just like us going chapter by chapter through the Bible, which we will do. <laughs> but at the same time, like it's this, it's the totality of it that I've really appreciated so far. Uh, and I think that's something that we have worked really hard to preserve. So I'm super excited in short, to publish the second episode of Genesis 1 through 25, um, because it just, it encapsulates, I think, a conversation about a religious text 
that I haven't seen online for a long time. And I think the exception, Battle Ready, of course, like Battle Ready all day, every day, huge inspiration for me at least. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's hard to find a conversation that crosses the line of just straight up religion and text and goes into, for example, a lot more in terms of the conversation about pop culture, about relationship, etc. Alright, I hope you enjoyed. Show notes at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes if there are any. And I hope to see you next week.